Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Hey, buddy, which is, of course, American English for Achtung, Achtung. Well, up to a point. Um, uh, uh, holy cow, surely. Um, uh, <laughs> um, anyway, on the first... Of this, yeah, it's what, not hey, buddy, hey, buddy. It's not hey, buddy. It? I don't know how we've ended up with that. Anyway, um, um, on the 1st of December of 1941, of course... It's Fubar. Fubar. <laughs> exactly. U.S. President Franklin D. Roosevelt returned early from his vacation in Warm Springs, Georgia, as the situation in the Pacific became critical... Um, I think, yeah, I mean, an attack on Pearl Harbor, is, that's more than being critical, isn't it? That's um, being open. Well, yeah, hostile. it hasn't happened yet, has it? Of course not. But you know what I mean? Like the yeah. critical, critical never really feels quite the right word. Mm. Um, uh, anyway, uh, meanwhile, world changing in, sounds yeah, better, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. Meanwhile, in Russia, the Red Army was busy creating the Moscow defense zone with, and things were genuinely critical there. And Hitler was turning his attention to the Mediterranean by reinforcing the Luftwaffe's presence there. Bad news for Malta, as ever. Hitler unable to finish one thing before starting the next and as a result undermining the one thing, which is the, the, the you know, jam tomorrow yeah. uh, approach of strategy. Anyway, all in, a, all in all, a busy old time 80 years ago this week. Um, so welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland. Um, we record this show on a Monday morning ahead of the Tuesday release. For those of you who join us on Monday nights for our weekly live stream, I hope you enjoyed the show live from the REF Museum last night. I certainly will. <laughs> yeah, it's always a bit odd, isn't it? Kind of previewing yeah. something that hasn't yet happened. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It might yeah. all go catastrophically wrong, you know, Heinkel. It could all go You know, the undercarriage wrong. might collapse and fall on our head or something. There, 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 there's always that... Thanks for raising that. There's always that possibility. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I hope their, their um, uh, virtual Dan Busters thing is still going. You can have a go on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very, very keen. Very good. Now, <laughs> last week on... Um, hope they crash. On the, like, yeah, last week on the social media platform Twitter and also the... Instagram social media platform, all sorts of pictures of you in a a Cromwell tank, Jim. Oh, Care God, to explain? So... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was one of those days that kind of sort of began really badly because... <laughs> <laughs> what, because you were in a well, we, we, we were, well, we were up at... We were back at Blackpit Brewery, so we were up at... Up right. Because dear old Duncan, who owns it, is the only person who was prepared to let a tank go out and move around... On his land. At this time of year, on his land. Right. So, so that was all good. Um, but obviously, you know, it being winter and everything, the lights are short and there's quite a lot to do to make an entire film in one day. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so time is of the essence. So we kind of arranged to meet at 8.30, then that got put back to 9. Yeah. Then it got put back to 9.30 and then the tank didn't finally turn up to yeah. quarter past 11. Yeah. By which point, you know... Um, Myself, Aaron, the director, and George, the cameraman, were all kind of sort of stomping around, feeling absolutely freezing, and kind of getting. <laughs> you know, we kept we kept saying, "Don't get cross, don't get cross. Save whatever, however annoyed we are, let's save it for the end of the day." Yeah, okay? yeah. You know, yeah. it's not going to help anyone. Very Being wise. very calm and very measured. Anyway, <laughs> tank duty turned up. Then everything went brilliantly. Um, right. We managed to get you know, Toby, and who was who who was, you know, I've sort of roped in for for as my kind of sidekick for the day. Um, 
we were so on it, it wasn't true. I mean, because obviously while I was standing around, I had plenty of opportunity to bone up my statistics on length, yeah. height, weight, you know, yeah. armour, width, all that kind of shit. Yeah. Um, and then and then we were off. Oh, my God, it was amazing. It's so quick. Yeah. Uh, and I said to I said to Tom Crawford, he was, um, you remember Tom from... Um, yeah. Uh, from the uh, well, of course you do, and yeah. um, uh, and and he said, "Well, you know, these things can do neutral turns." And I said, "Yeah, yeah, come on, Tom. You know, you you want to do a neutral turn, don't don't you?" And he goes, and Toby went, "Not likely. You're not doing that. And it's got to go to America in a couple of days." So, <laughs> anyway, uh, for the uninitiated, what is a neutral turn? It's when it turns on a sixpence. It does a three sixty degrees without moving forward or backwards. So it puts one track left, one track forward, one track, and backwards. it just spins round in equal measure, three hundred sixty degrees. <laughs> yep, Amazing. flips. It's Absolutely not 360 degrees. We only did 180. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, you know, Tom was very much warming to his theme. So we we were cutting through this wood along this long track and going through yeah. this wood. Yeah. And he was going up through the gears. He was getting faster and faster and faster until we were pounding it at 40 miles an hour. And I promise you, in a nearly 30 ton tank, well, it's 27 and a half, isn't it? Yeah. But 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 you know, it really you really feel it. Yeah. But also. <laughs> its braking capabilities are absolutely out of this world. What, so you can just jam the anchors on and it stops? Yep. And then oh. do a neutral turn. So God. this is... Oh so if you want to get out of God. trouble... If you want to get out of trouble... Well, if it, one this whistles, was my point. One whistles past your bow... You can you can uh, turn it around and get out of there quite quickly. Yeah, and also he did he did a ninety degree turn around a corner. And he just yeah. went, you know, straight yeah. around. I mean, literally so quickly. There was no other tank that could do it in that. Certainly from the Second World War, that could do so it. So, have you that speed uh, and agility? Are you are you you know are you convinced by the Cromwell in a way that maybe you because it's got a it's had a bad press, hasn't it? It's had got a you know because it was late. It was a year late and all that sort of thing and and. The tanks that run up to it are all a bit are all a bit lame, and um, and then there's sort of kerfuffle about the, you know, if you the the, the historiography tradition is kerfuffle about the gun. The gun's not right. Is it a six pounder? Is it seventy five mil reboard six pounder? Yeah. You know, yeah. they need a dual purpose gun, not an anti tank gun, or do they need a good enough anti tank gun to deal with the you know Panzers that aren't there? And you know, blah 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 blah. I mean, are you if have you. Have you reviewed your opinion of the Brit- British? Because I have I- actually. Because I have because because what I've learned from doing the Sherwood Rangers book is that if you're if you're experienced and tactically sassy, yeah, bigger gun doesn't necessarily come to you know that's not the be all and end all. The, yeah. the most important thing is to fire first, yeah, and to and to maintain your own manoeuvrability, yeah. So if you can fire first and be manoeuvrable. You can beat a tiger or a, or a panther, no problem yeah, yeah, whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, or, what, or, so, or, or, or whatever. Because after all, it's or about it's about pack seventy fives, and it's about la- absolutely uh, lads and stoops and panzer fours and yeah, 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 yeah. Just the two beezers give you a huge amount of firepower. They're yeah. they're a really good machine gun yeah. that can sort of rattle away. And also the front machine gun, um, the 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 one you know in the sort of co-drivers spot. Yeah. yeah. The, the the maneuverability you've got of that the arc the firing arc because you can you can rotate it right so you can do this and, and and it can go up and down and kind of left or right and it's and it's really it's not stuck in a solid position by any, no. or, or even a narrow position you've yeah. really got a lot of of wiggle room there of scope right of scope yeah and and, and it's just the speed of this thing yeah it, it's just I mean you can uh, see okay so why... the, so first of all the, I, I think the seventy five millimeter gun is absolutely fine. You know, right. obviously, it'd be great to have a 
you know a seventeen pounder in there or something like that. But but yeah. you know it, it's of a par with the with the Sherman seventy five miller. There's not yeah. really anything in it. Yeah. And obviously, for much of the much of the time in Northwest Europe, which is where it's really being used, yeah, it's kind of you know seventy five millimeter is it's kind of fine for its its purpose, and it and it can take those it can take both types. It can take high explosive, and it can yeah. take armor piercing. Yeah, you know, and you can shove one up its way, and it's incredibly quick firing. It's like the yeah. Sherman. You can you yeah. can just chuck these things in and out, in and out, in and out, and and that is one of the advantage of the slightly smaller gun. Is you've it's got, got room a, in room in the fighting well, compartment. Yeah, you've got room in the fighting compartment, uh, and and obviously you know the 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 recoil's not as dramatic. So every shot is you you can, it's just yeah. an easier process to get the yeah. shell in, get the yeah. cut the the um, cartridge out. Yeah. Pressure. And and that speed of fire is is, is really again a hu- huge advantage. And I you know I keep going back to John Semkin hitting that tiger ten times yeah. before the tiger yeah. can hit him once. Yeah, you know I mean the, I, it's see, it's just it's not a it's no longer a case of in my mind of who's got the biggest gun and who's got the biggest arm. There's just so many other factors involved. Well, you see what I so what I what I would want to do, Jim, is I would want to suggest that the British, in fact, have got the best tank at the start of the war. By a long way. Which is? Right? First three years of the war, the British have the best tank of the war. Matilda II. Best tank of the war. Yeah. It's the best tank on the battlefield in France. It's the best tank. The Russians love it. It's the best tank of the Western Desert in 1941. So that's three years of the war where the British produced the best tank, right? Yeah. <laughs> I hear where you're going with this. Right? <laughs> then from, ni- from the Cromwell onwards, the, the types the British produce are superlative. I think you go to the Comet after that, which does have a seventy, which 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 has the, you know the the, the seventeen pounder that's been reconfigured, hmm. and then obviously Centurion arrives five minutes too late for the for the uh, you know Western Theatre, but but it's you know it's what's next. I think you've got three years at the start of the year, two years at the end of the war, forty four, forty five, when the British produced the best tanks of the war. There you go. <laughs> well, no, but seriously, I'll tell you what else is really interesting about it is, is, is that, that 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 speed is is really good inside. You know, there's criticisms about it being quite cramped. I I didn't really find it particularly so. And yeah. there's lots of features about it that are really really helpful. So, for example, on the command, so so there's double cupola on the there's double hatches on the top. Yeah. One of which is a is a cupola or cupola, however you pronounce yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, I don't know how you pronounce uh, it. Yeah. Uh, and on the commander's one, which is obviously on the left because you're driving on the right, and the whole so it's yeah. opposite to to, yeah. to the um, Sherman. You've got eight periscopes on it. Yeah. Now, now we all know that the moment you go into the hatches, you can see diddly squat, and it's rubbish. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But if you do need to go down, it's quite helpful that you can see quite a lot. Yeah. 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 Uh, and in the Cromwell, you can see quite a lot. You know, you can, you can operate hatches down with that. More clearly and better than any other tank yeah. I've been in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've been in a few now. And you've been in a few tanks. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because because uh, some of the ideas about uh, about these vehicles and how they fit into the sort of um, you know, I mean, it's are quite are quite set hard, aren't they? And actually having yes. a look at them and having a think about them, it, it, it is always worthwhile. And certainly, speed speed maneuverability becomes speed one of the maneuverability and well, once, agility. Well, once you've cracked reliability then then which is after all the thing the british are most worried about after 1942 isn't it it's just they want after 41 42 in the desert they want reliable tanks but then a, a lot of the reason the tanks aren't reliable is because they've been designed for the 
northwestern Europe, northwest European theatre, not for the desert. So of course they're of course they're going to break down. You yeah. know, it's the, it, it's this thing. After all, everyone ends up for a period of the war. Everyone ends up fighting a war they don't expect, or the British certainly fight a war they don't expect to fight in the desert, for instance. Um, well, has anyone uh, checked the rel- mechanical reliability of the Italian and German tanks? In well, the like, desert? well, exactly. There's lots of sand all over the place. Exactly. But on the question of the war they expect to fight, now this this is this is a brilliant segue, right? That I'm going to yeah yeah yeah. I know where you're reading, heading with this. I've been reading the Allenbrook Diaries, um, uh, um, uh, uh, co-edited by a um, friend of the show, Daniel Todman, of course. And there is this stuff. Did he? Did he edit those? Co-edited those, yeah, yeah. Did he? Yeah, he did. Well, yeah, what are you? Hold on. Yeah, with um, uh, oh, I can't. I can never get the cover up with Alex Danchev. Says uh, anyway. Sure. The interesting thing about this, right, yes. is in January, January of nineteen forty, and obviously uh, the, the the whole phony war period is really really interesting because he spends an awful lot of time, you know, going to see Fourth Div and checking on their artillery provision, and then the artillery guy really is no good. I must get rid of him. It's all that, um, yeah, sort of sort of it's sort of like dadmin, you know. Um, He's, he's the father of his core, and he's doing all... There you go, there you go, that, that chap. That's Daniel Tubman. So go go to the 28th of January, 1940. Yep. And it's so interesting. Hard frost again today, and sheets are, and roads a sheet of ice. Dewing, DMO and I, Director of Military Operations and Intelligence at the War Office, came out today for a tour of the front, and we were out all day. He does an awful lot of this, um, Brooke, t- yep. showing people round. I mean, he's been forever being descended on by, you know, by Horbelisha and then uh, and then then his successor and then, you know, Gort will drop in and then all the old field marshals will turn up and have a look around, all this sort of stuff. And he's interesting on Gort because he says, I've never met a man more perfectly... He says something along the lines, I've never met a man more perfectly suited to running a battalion. He basically says that. <laughs> I've paraphrased there possibly... To the point of it being a sounding absurd. He basically says, no one understands running a battalion better than Lord Gore. It's really funny. Think, yeah. Mm. Right. Because he's very subtle and his, his criticisms are very interesting. And after all, these diaries are meant to be written as a letter to his wife. That's the idea. Is that That's how they're set up. The, the introduction to him going, well, darling, I'm off again. And, you know, and they're all written to you. You know, so, so... He says, it was so nice to see you on leave. But they're, but they're a diary. Anyway, I had an opportunity... Um, of pumping him as regards the war office view of the prosecution of the war. Now, listen to this. Yeah, I know. This is absolutely amazing. The feeling <laughs> they amazing. give me is that whilst concentrating on ensuring that they are going to win the war in three years from now, they neglect to realise the danger of losing it this year. Unless we get the Air Ministry and the War Office to realise that they are fighting the same war and that their combined effort is required at the same spot the same time and the same object we are courting disaster and this is the this is this is the yeah, really yeah, 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 yeah. we are courting disaster against an enemy who adheres to the doctrine of concentration of effort at the vital point at the right time to contemplate bombing the Ruhr at a time when the Germans are using their combined army and air force effort in one mighty uniform attempt to crush the french and british forces to clear their way into france is in my mind sheer folly Two wrongs will not make a right in this case, and a misuse of our air force will not induce the Germans into a mis- misuse of their own air force by diverting them from the proper, proper task to that of bombing England. When the com- and this is it. 
When the combined task of the German land and air forces is, is completed and northern France cleared of the Allies, then and only then will the Germans turn their air might onto England. I mean, Mystic Meg, it's amazing. He, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's, he's so 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 much for Blitzkrieg being a complete surprise. He he just knows. He knows that the Germans are going to use concentration of force. He knows that. So he's he he knows that that's what they're going to do. He doesn't know how they're going to do it or where they're going to do it. But he knows that's what you ought to expect from the Germans, that they're going to they're going to use a fist rather mm. than. So what fist have they probably got? And it's armor. And one of the things he's always banging on about is anti tank um, defenses. He's going on about there's an anti tank ditch. It's no good. And he's involved in devising an anti an anti tank pillbox, like a reinforced anti tank position that he's sort of I've invented it anyway. Then he goes on about the Maginot line. He, th this is this is incredible. So he's shown around the Maginot line, thinks it's amazing. I'm not convinced that it's a marvellous military accomplishment. This is on um, 6th of yeah, February. What? 6th of February. Oh, so, yeah. oh, well, well, it's on the 5th of February where he says, Lord Gort is the most inspiring person I've ever met when discussing questions related to the handling of a battalion in war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> Perfect faint praise. That is absolutely yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you literally, I mean, what a wordsmith. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and anyway, um, I'm not, so on the, on, you know, so he's shown um, Fort Hackenberg, which is one of the big Maginot forts. Yes, I've been there. Have you been there? I've not. And, you know, it's a garrison of a thousand men, seven kilometres of pastures, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I'm not convinced. He says it's an all-round astonishing engineering feat, right? But he says, I'm not convinced it's a marvellous military accomplishment. Millions of money stuck in the ground for a purely static defence. And the total firepower developed by these works bears no relation to the time, work and money spent in their construction. This is the most... Their most dangerous aspect is a psychological one. A, a sense of false security is engendered, a feeling of sitting behind an impregnable iron fence, and should the fence perchance be broken, then French fighting spirit be brought down, crumbling down with it. I mean, how does he know? It's amazing, and it and it's um, it it, it it's it's quite fascinating because you know these these aren't these aren't written you know in, in hindsight in hindsight, yeah. And then there's the there's there's you know then he gets on to discussing the um uh, military strategy. So um, Lord Milne comes to visit. Field Marshal yes. Lord Milne comes to visit with the new Secretary of State for War, Stanley. Stanley's yeah. the guy who was uh, um, worried about pansyism in the 1940 sort of That's intake right. into the yeah, army. Yeah, 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 I remember him, yes. Um, Stanley, so Milne says, he also expressed the view from a military point of view. What date's this? This is um, 16th, of, 16th of February. It's the last right. part of that entry. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Milne expressed the view that from a military point of view, he considered we were wrong to advance into Belgium. <laughs> I mean, it's just... Yeah. It's... it's 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 all there, you know, and yeah. um, and obviously, obviously, the the thing you really sense from this is that you've got, if you're a general, no matter who you are, no matter how brilliant you are as a general, there is all there are all these rivers of pressure pressing on you, or, or currents of pressure pressing on you. So there's the War Office, you know, who are expressing essentially a political point of view about the war. Then there's then there's you know the Air Ministry have got their oar in. Then there's the politicians themselves who, you know, Horbelich turns up and, and they have big rows with him. And, and there's a bit where Brooks saying that I'm quite annoyed because Horbelich wouldn't promote so-and-so. So there's like 
There's the the army isn't allowed to get on with its own thing. Then you've got Lord, obviously you've got Gort, who's sort of brave and fantastic, mm. and um, and that's and that's not... the straightest back in Christendom. Exactly, and 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 so there's no arguing with it. But also, and then you know, there's all the sort of he goes to see one of the divisions. I've got to get rid of him. He's no use. And and then if uh, you know, there's another. He goes to another guy. and He goes this. Whoever it's the guy commanding fourth division, he says, you know, he's much more agreeable than Montgomery, but he's nowhere near as good. And it's that sort of, it's that sort of, uh, uh, it's just so interesting. But the, his strategic sense is that good, is that keen. I mean, he ba- that that's basically a prediction of the outcome, isn't it? What 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 you've got there. Um, and obviously, yeah, I, know I, I, I mean, obviously, we don't do what ifs on this show, but I, no. I, I but. but 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 you do wonder if they hadn't gone into Belgium and had some radios. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and had some radios, and 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 you know had an appreciation that the the Germans, you know, were gonna were basically going to have to concentrate their force. And there's well, what it, it, there's it's what about whole, there's, it's about... there's about two places they could do it. You know, I mean, I think it's very interesting that after, the, you know, that the, the NATO strategy after, you know, that evolves is that there's going to be a Russian push, Soviet push through the Fulda Gap. And they know it. They've decided on it. They, they, they're they're going to they're, they're basically figuring out how not to get blitzkrieged again. There's only one place they can really get all their tanks through. And so they've the the, 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 the NATO plan is very much. And they might based, have been as wrong, right? They might get, Well, yeah, exactly. But they're completely focused on. They're going to try and do, a, you know, they're going to concentrate their force and come at us in one place. And that's the one place where we're going to have to defend ourselves. But, the, but I mean, just that assessment of the problem with the Maginot line, of what it's done to French fighting spirit is amazing. I mean, you know. Well, that, yes, except except the whole point of the Maginot line is, is on the most, you know, where the French border actually touches the Germans. You've got a line so that you... All you've got to do is man it. You know, no one's going to go through that. Yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah. problem is, is, is that they neglect the hinge and they neglect the, yeah, you know, and then they charge off into Belgium, falling for the for for the kind of sort of the German ruse. Yeah, and the problem is, is they they overextend themselves and they're too slow. So yeah. so the Germans are doing kind of three times the distance in a third of the time. Well, and, this is and he, they're, they're, yeah. they've underestimated they've underestimated how fast the Germans can move. Yeah, but had they had they made had they made more mobile but but still static defences on the French French Belgian border and Luxembourg border it would have been a different thing. But also, in addition to that, one of one of the key failures of nine, May nineteen forty is they don't hold the nodal points. Yeah, nodal points are you know key river crossings, road confluences of roads and stuff. Yeah. You know, and that's what the Americans do in December nineteen forty four. Yeah. You know, at Saint Vit, okay, they they get overrun at Saint Vit. But they hold on to Samvit for whatever it is, four or five days or something. And, and it completely screws up the, the German yeah. time plan. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's the same with Bastogne. That, that's why those things, you know, Bastogne is obviously a, a confluence of roads and all the rest of it and, uh, and and the key crossroads. You know, they can't just isolate it. They've got to yeah. they've got to confront it. And yeah. that's what the French failed to do in, well, in 1940, well, almost spectacularly badly at Sedan. You know, and, and, yeah. and when you're at Sedan, it's, it's just, it, the whole thing is just, it's just a, it's an exercise in frustration because you you look at the natural defences of around Sudan, which are enormous. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they're considerable, and, and you consider that you know the Germans are crossing in the you know the same place that they've done two times earlier. So the third time, yeah, yeah. they're crossing exactly the same point. And it's yeah. not it's not, and I'm not just talking about Sudan. I'm talking about exactly the same point. And that stretch of ground opposite the old um, 
um, clothing factory on the edge of town, on the other yeah. side of the river, there are no defences. At all. There's not a mine, there's well, not a barbed well, wire, there's not a machine well, gun place, and else, it's just insane. Here, here's what else he says about the battle, uh, about the Maginot Line. The fort reminded me of a battleship built on land, a masterpiece in its way. And there's no doubt that the whole conception of the Maginot Line is a stroke of genius. And yet, it gave me but little feeling of security, and I consider that the French would have done better to invest the money in the shape of mobile defences, such as more and better aircraft and more heavy armoured divisions than to sink all this money into the ground. I mean, yeah, because uh, I because I, I guess the argument is 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 you're not going to get across the Rhine anytime soon anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't need all those underground railways. No, I mean no. I've been on that underground railway. It's it's, it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Although you, you, although it's one of those things where it's actually quite cold and unpleasant. Uh, <laughs> well, well, for about for about four minutes you're thinking god this is a laugh isn't it you know because it's like a little electric 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 railway and you're sitting on it and you're kind of it's like a little trolley and you're kind of jigging along and you're going along these tunnels and you sort you know you get sort of minute seven and you're sort of thinking okay i'm sort of done now and then kind of you know 15 minutes in you're still trundling along and you're thinking okay all right this is just boring now i'm done with it <laughs> it's really funny oh, funny wow yeah. Uh, well. So anyway, how far so, have you got? Work? So you're going to keep going. You're going to get uh, well, through I'm to I'm, I'm going to start cherry picking now. I'm going to use it. I'm going to. Uh, uh, um, but I wanted to read a, around the stuff about the. I wanted to read about the phony war, basically, because mm. because again, you know, the, 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 there's there's a lot of historiography about the phony war. The allies allies sat around like twiddling their thumbs and using turnips as hand grenades, or whatever, and and not really being not really being that savvy about what the Germans are doing. But it's quite clear that. The, the Brooks got a clear idea of what might happen. Um, and what a terrible winter. Wow, and it is a terrible, <laughs> terrible winter. There's no someone, someone tweeted yeah, me to say that was all... Be- El Nino. El Nino, yeah. There we are. I need to look into that a little bit more because, yeah. you know, you know, I'm very happy talking about weather. Um, yeah. But we should take a break, shouldn't we? But yes, after we that, I want to tell break. you about what I've been reading the yes, last okay. few days. That'd be fantastic. And we need to take a couple of questions and do some housekeeping. We will be back in a second with all that and more. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland. A um, couple of bits of housekeeping for you. Now, thanks to everyone who bought the sensational We Have Ways calendar. Stuart Bertie's amazing pictures. Um, they are with the printer as we speak and you'll have them for Christmas. Um, uh, and such um, a nice guy as well, Stu. Such a terrific he's, bloke. And that amazing a family fella. story. Yeah. Um, yeah. Family Stories is back each Sunday morning. Um, a cracking tale of a young Oxfordshire woman this week who found herself at a Hitler rally in 1936. That was quite the story. Yeah. Um, uh, next Monday night, our live stream will be from the National Army Museum. and We've been allowed by the museum to bring a small audience. So 12 lucky listeners will get a sneak preview of the new Sherwood Rangers exhibition and get a glass of Vino or two with James and I. An awful lot of you got in touch asking to come, so we're holding a lottery today and we'll let you know whose names come up as soon as possible. Um, well, right, so I'm really, you... really excited about that. I'm really, yeah. I'm re- it's all coming together this week. So so all the, um, the, the all the construction of the rumours, yeah. of the exhibition space has been done, all the graphics are in, and this week the objects are in. And <laughs> so I've got the challenge of delivering this to them um, which uh, you can't see, but I'm holding up a 75 millimeter Sherman shell. So I'm kind of sort of thinking, how am I going to get that on the tree? You know, 
Jesus. I mean, you know, I just don't want to repeat of my... Uh, my um... It's inert, right? <coughs> yeah, it's actually a dud. I mean, it is a, right. it's a, it's a training one, but, 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 you know, tell that to the fuzz. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just... I'll be very glad when I've handed it over. <laughs> and um, it's really heavy as well. Yeah, know, well, of course it fair. should be. It ought to be. Yeah, really, well, yeah. it is. Um, so I've got to deliver that. So... <laughs> It's quite Has it got big and I written on it? Yeah, it does somewhere. Because that I think on the bottom. Because let's be honest, if you were trying to smuggle a seventy-five millimeter round around and get the police off your case, you'd have inert written on it, wouldn't you? It's exactly what someone trying to smuggle one of those rounds would do. Here's exactly. the dummy here, me carrying it up. <laughs> <laughs> so wish me luck, boys. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've been sort of dreading it. I just, I just, you know, I just remember being on Paddington Station with that that holdall full of an SP MP40 and a Sten and stuff, and kind of, you know, I suddenly realised the MP40 was sort of slightly pointing out of one end, and there was a sort of, you know, there was a rosa there with a gun and everything, and I just, oh my god, I'm such an idiot. What, what am I doing here? You know. Anyway, I got away with that one, but. Anyway, so that's my that's my toss. But it is coming together really, really nicely, and um, it's it's just I'm really, really excited about it. I think it's going to look terrific. The designers are amazing. I mean, you know, because you have so these have you concepts sort of got, and stuff. Have you still got shop fitters in building the stands and everything? Yeah, no, that's been done now. That's right, finished. Okay. Right. So then now it's now putting everything in it. Brilliant. Yeah. And, you know, and we've, and we've got you know touchy feely stuff and audio that you can listen to and Brilliant. films you can watch and Brilliant. uniforms you can touch Excellent. Keith Burns's sequence of cartoons fantastic. John Semkin meets a tiger fantastic yeah it's gonna be great amazing I hope um, uh, and, and poignant that, as well uh, when, when does it open it opens on Thursday the 9th of uh, December lovely Okay. So we're doing a sort of, we're doing that as a sort of preview little preview for the listener then, then there's a kind of launch party on the 8th yeah. Um, to which, obviously, everyone at Goalhanger is invited and, and the pod, but I sort of appreciate you know, the slightly ODing on it all. Uh, um, so there's that. And then, um, yeah, and then we've got then we've got Tank Day on the... Because we've, we've got Jim Clark Sherman up there as well. Really? Yeah. Where? What, parked outside? Oh, yeah, well, it's arriving on Tuesday, sadly, not on Monday. But, yeah, it's right. coming on Tuesday. Wow. So it'll be parked outside in, in its Sherwood Rangers colours. Wow. I know, it's quite good, isn't it? It's very cool. Yeah. That's so it'd be quite interesting cool. if Sherman in Chelsea. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. <laughs> right, so yeah. um, Thursday we're talking to Mark Milner, aren't we, about, um, about, about the Atlantic. Atlantic. Or Which, the Atlantic War, as he likes to call it. Well, exactly. And um, the, I mean, and so those of you who, who say we don't talk about the Navy enough or ocean warfare... Yeah. There's t- you're gonna you what basically you're gonna say this isn't long enough there isn't enough of it it was the most amazing conversation which we did last week he's a um, top bloke he's, yeah, a, he he's really, such really a good guy he's really really personable and interesting and fascinating lovely. stuff and we've we've yeah. got a lot of that backed up haven't we um, yeah uh, uh, and I've got and I've got this to look, go through as well which is merchant shipping and the demands of war by CBA Berens which is the only um, official history of the Second World War written by a female historian really. She was a she's a fellow of Newnham College, Cambridge. When was that published? Well, it's like 1961 or something. All oh, right, quite. 1955. So quite, 1955. All right, so it's not, really dry. I say it's yeah, got. Well, yeah. you've, you've, I've never come across a book with more appendices than this. Well, it's got. Well, yeah, I have. <laughs> and it's that's, got 70. Um, it's got 70 appendices. Can you beat that? It's got LXX. 
Well, this is Terence Otway's um, uh, official airborne history. Uh, uh, his, his, append, his appendices, yes, it's uh, appendix goes up to P, appendix P. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm way past you. Yeah, I'm, but with, basically with, half um... of this book is appendices. Yeah, okay, and, but this one's this one's got seventy, and this is written in this is written in seventy a fascinating numbered paragraph style for anyone who really likes. Oh a dry, my god, it's it is literally book. the most boring book you've ever read. It's not, and it's about such exciting stuff, <laughs> but it's really quite it's really quite dull. And then there's, there's so so bits of it. He goes, the events of this campaign have been covered in you know Sol, um, Army Gazette, night January nineteen forty one. So you, so it's not in there. So you get to the, you know, the the, the fighting that um, uh, first parachute brigade do in North Africa and Tunisia, um, uh, and it's just not in there. He goes, it's, that was covered in this article, in, and you're like, what? Just left, he's left it out. Oh, that's so funny. And then I, I remember back- reading that. I remember reading that for Sicily when uh, um, when I was writing it at the back end of 2019, and I remember it was winter, and it was. You know, it's just after lunch, and it was one of those sort of monochrome days that never really gets light. Yeah. Uh, and I remember sitting in here, re- reading it at my desk, kind of making notes, and then just falling asleep at my desk, my head waking up when my head hit the front. <laughs> it's what Colonel Otway would have wanted, I'm sure. I mean, it's. Yeah. I mean, it. You know, because the, the, then there's another. There's another. There's a. There's a book written a bit later by a guy called Harclerode, which is like a who's also a parachute regiment officer, so who's trying to, like, zhuzh it up a bit. And even that, like, oh, God, God. Wow. Really how have you, how have you done this? You've made yeah, this yeah, yeah. exciting thing very yeah. boring. But, yeah, what have you been, but what have you been reading? Because you, well, you wave, the, the, my, you wave my, my book is not boring at all. My book is not boring at all. This is When France Fell by Mike Nyberg, friend of the show, yeah. um, from over in uh, Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Uh, the Vichy Crisis and the Fate of the Anglo-American Alliance. And really, it's about the, you know, it's up, to, it's, it's up you know, the first bit of the um, until Vichy yeah. sort of basically comes defunct yeah uh, um, we're following Operation Torch and it's just fascinating I mean you know this this is this is turf that I know pretty darn well I've got to yeah. say yeah but he's he's pulling on sources that I hadn't really looked at or if I had only yeah. sort of cursorily yeah um and and he's Such as? just I don't know. Also, sort of interesting people who were sort of uh, um, a, a female diarist who was at the kind of you know War Department in Washington. Um, uh, Bullet, the, uh, the the ambassador to France. Um, lots of Robert Murphy, who I have read before, but I kind yeah. of you, know, you just you just sort of I sort of read, must have read it in isolation and yeah. um, and and you know sort of out of context. And it's just it's just it's just so interesting. And his perspectives on it is just making me think again. And, yeah. and really think again about that incredible period. And his big point is, which is re- okay. There's, there's two big takeaways so far. The first thing is, is he's very big on the absolute panic that grips yeah. the US following yeah. the kind of strategic earthquake of the fall of France. Yeah. You know, they are really thinking, oh my god, we've been we, we, we've been sleepwalking. You know, yeah. we, we've just not been on this. We we've yeah. been complacent. We need to up our game. And and it, and it's the absolute. I mean, it, it's like Tom Crawford doing um, doing a neutral turn in a, yeah. in a in a in a Cromwell. It's the speed with which everyone's really really against any involvement whatsoever. To yes, we need to rearm, and here's yeah. you know twenty here's, billion. Yeah, yeah, just here's like that. It, 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 yeah. absolutely extraordinary. The second thing is 
the Merz el Kabir um, bombing of the uh, destruction of the of the French fleet at Merz el Kabir. Yeah. And Dar- Admiral Darlan, who is, has been the mastermind of building up the French fleet in the 1920s and 1930s, and who yeah. is sort of you know scuttled yeah. over to um, 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 and who has remained in charge, he issues um, uh, a warning that under no circumstances is anyone anyone under any circumstances to consider moving their ships, handing them over to the Germans or the British or to anybody or scuttling them or anything. Right. And even if he sends a direct order to do so, they are to ignore it. Because the most important wow. thing is, you know, so, so it's just to sort of make the point that yeah. they can't do it. And, and there's a huge number of younger French officers who were actually quite simpatico to the British and quite keen, you know, would have been quite happy to to join, take them to, to British ports to and defect. join the Royal Navy. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But it is the senior commanders, these these people who've who've lived through the First World War, who have become who, who's who are consumed by by this kind of sort of the hopelessness of the situation. Yeah, this this deluding themselves that somehow they can they can still salvage some honor for France. Yeah, and in in and in salvaging that honor for France and that delusion that they believe themselves it's all going to be okay with the Germans in the long run, they have also turned to pathologically hate the British. Yeah, it's sort of you know they were they were they were sort of that way inclined anyway, but but but. You know, they're like a sort of spurned lover. You know, w- w- once they were lovers, but now they're kind of sort of, you know, they're hating each other in the divorce court. It's it's kind of... But that's kind of a reflection of the, the attitude in Britain of like, thank God we haven't got to put up with the French anymore when Dunkirk right. has yeah. happened. Yeah. Not yeah. going to deal with these unreliable bloody but, but frogs. It, but it's frogs also... It, but, it's what, what's going on in, in the UK, isn't it? And yes, so, but it's also this belief that, that it's more than that because it's it's... We lost, and we've got a much bigger army than you. Yeah, <coughs> you know we're great, France. You know we're a global yeah, yeah. superpower. Yeah, yeah, and we lost, so you haven't got a hope in hell. And by carrying on fighting, you're just making you know, it it's worse. showing them up. It's making it worse. Yeah. You know, it's inevitable what that what's going to happen. You can't. You haven't got any hope. So just throw in the town now. And all this posturing is just upsetting the world order. It's upsetting our order, and it's making us really pissed off. You just got to kind of throw in the town, and that that's also part of it. Yeah. But obviously there is there is De Gaulle, and De Gaulle is this kind of you know in in 1940 he's this upstart. Yeah, he's in the, well, he's a, he's <coughs> he's he's nobody really, isn't he? He's a he's a one star, you know. He's, he's a brilliant yeah, exa- general, exactly. So so it, I mean, it's like you know, pick 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 a, pick a British equivalent. Um, yes, and the and the British and, and the Americans are not interested in De Gaulle, yeah, because they're not interested in kind of a future colonial France or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. They don't care. Yeah, you know, there's no interest in that whatsoever. Whereas for Britain, they want to maintain the kind of the status quo in in yep. in kind of global affairs, not just in Europe. So they want France back, and they want France to have its empire and its links. Well, and well, all the rest if, of it. well, yes, because after all, you, you you can't undermine the idea of empire if you're the British Empire. I mean, right, right, <laughs> but know. that's why they're prepared to invest in yeah. in De Gaulle and, and invest yeah. in De Gaulle big time yeah. because. It's useful for him for them to do so, yeah. even though he's arrogant and tricky and difficult and a bit of a nobody. But he, yeah, but yeah. he's someone. Yeah. But it explains and also you know, Rudolf just doesn't like the cut of his jib. You know, he just thinks he seems like a 
an arsehole and just doesn't, yeah, yeah. not interested in him. Um, and so, so there is this divergence between Britain and France about how to deal with the free bit of France yeah. and those who want to kind of continue the fight. Yeah. So, so for, for for Britain, you know, having any relations with Vichy is just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Whereas from the American point of view, it's panic stations. Yeah, yeah. In terms of rearming, the last thing they want to do is suddenly find kind of the French fleet in the Caribbean or something, yeah, or yeah, Mexico yeah, 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 yeah. or South America or or, yeah. or whatever. So they're they're kind of trying to tread much more carefully with Vichy in a way that Britain is not. But what's really interesting is is the episode of Chad. Chad right. is the is the, is the first French colonial country to come out in favour of the Free French and support De Gaulle. Right. And this is all because of Felix Ebouet, and he is the governor. And he is the first non-white French governor of a colonial possession, right? And he goes, "No, I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm all, I'm all for De Gaulle. I don't want to. I don't want fishy France. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want, you know, pro-German and, and the Nazis, pro-German and, and counter-revolutionary yeah. France. Yeah, yeah, yeah yes. Yeah. But this this strengthens the British position in Sudan." which in turn strengthens its position in Egypt, which in yeah. turn gives it the launch pad for attacking Abyssinia. Yeah. Whereas the converse is if Vichy had Chad... Got to do and, something about Chad. And the Italians then attack from into Sudan, yeah. then suddenly the lower Red Sea and Egypt is really imperiled. And that yeah. changes the whole situation in the Middle East. Yeah, and yeah. this is all happening in in kind of July 1940, when yeah. the, obviously you know from the British point of view, there's other things to to worry about. Yeah, 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 yeah. But Gosh. but it's it's yeah. So he goes, such a coup from the British perspective would secure Sudan's western frontier, but De Gaulle and the British would have to move quickly and quietly, lest Vichy get wind of Ebuwe's plans and replace him with someone more pliable, as they plan to do in French Somaliland. So there's all this kind of. Oh, it's just fascinating. I mean, you know, it's just, it's just a, there's a whole nother layer of stuff going on yeah. that I hadn't quite appreciated. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. And, and who, whoever would have thought that the key to the, <laughs> the key to the Middle East, the Mediterranean and the Middle East lay with Felix Ebuwe in Chad? It's incredible. And of course, in 19, early 1943, when um, it, it is, it, it is uh, Philip Leclerc who is a free French guy and who sails yeah. to to support to to bring to, to look after the free French troops in Chad once Ebuwe's made his declaration. Yeah. Um who then attacks up through um behind the Mat Mata Hills and and supports the uh, yeah. New Zealand Corps as they're going yeah. around the Mat Mata Hills and through the Toboga Gap. Yeah. In southern Tunisia. It's just fascinating, I, I, it's isn't fascinating. it? It's fascinating. I mean well also but just the sort of when you you know when you look at Africa like like it's a risk board um, you know what right. I mean. You, you, yeah, you yeah, need, yeah. You need if you want if you want Egypt safe. You need Sudan, which means you, yeah, like you say, you need Chad, <laughs> which is why you need Libya, which is why in yeah. the end you end up in Tunisia and Algeria, and Morocco. And as long as, yeah. as long as, God, it's, I mean, it's that's fascinating. So, he, so no, let, let me let me just let, let me just read this a couple of little bits from 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 about De Gaulle. So I guess yeah, from on. the beginning, therefore, De Gaulle had a strategic importance to the British in Africa and the Middle East that he did not have for the Americans. I mean, it says. Um, 
uh, Eden can't bear him, just thinks yeah, yeah. he's awful. Yeah, yeah. Still, personalities aside, Eden and the British quickly realised that de Gaulle offered them the best chance of restoring France and the French Empire on favourable terms, especially as it became increasingly obvious that the new Vichy government had no intention of putting up any kind of resistance to the Axis. That's fascinating, isn't it? Isn't it? It's so good. I, I'm really enjoying it. It's 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 just fascinating. Really, really because, fascinating. Because it is the the thing to do is to remember that that this. I mean, you know, Rob Rob Rob, Rob Lyman's amazing new book is you know War of Empires about about the Far East. This is still a, a war of empires in Europe. Actually, it you know that you've you've got you've got these sort of kaleidoscopic. It's not about France as a nation state. It's France as an imperium when Britain's involved because Britain operates as an... The UK operates as an imperium, doesn't it? As an imperial power with its sort of... With its its jigsaw puzzle that it comes with. And that if you disrupt the French jigsaw puzzle, it's not just about France. And that one of the, one of the sort of mistakes you can make looking back is because it's the UK now and it's France now rather than the French Empire and the British Empire is to just think of it in terms of those nation states and how they fit in rather than you know the in a way stuff. And, and you know and uh, 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 um, it's Timothy Snyder isn't it who argues that after the war what happens is the empires will collapse and the European nation states have to invent themselves as nation states that they've got to reconfigure as sole nations which I think which is a really interesting idea and and if you if you can get past thinking like that, you know, regard Duke as one thing for strategic purposes, and whatever the French, whatever, whatever what, 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 where are the French Africans? So it's France, Africa. There's, there's Equatorial Guinea, isn't there? There's where, where's Dakar? That's um. Well, so it's France and Africa, and uh, France, Africa, Morocco. and then. And then, um, well, I'm trying to come up with, you know, like Freak or something. Going to come up with an acronym that covers... The, oh, I see. France, Africa, East Asia. Um, in, Indochina, hold on. So Indochina. what have we got? We've got, we've got... France, Africa, Indochina. Okay. So it's... Fake. Um, yeah. Freak, isn't it? Freak. So do you or just fake. 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 That's very good. France, Africa and Indochina. Fake. And Duke. <laughs> <laughs> it even looks like a French fake word. Horses. F-A-I-C even looks like a French word. Fake. So it's fake yeah. and duke. Yeah. That's very, yeah. that's very good. <laughs> and you've got to think of them like that, actually, when yeah. you... When you... <laughs> 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 that's very good. Okay, should we do... Um, um, I've ordered that on Kindle, obviously, so there's yet another... Yeah, another book. There's so much oh, well, reading, I just, reading I thought, to do. So well, yeah, I've got I've got Barons to get through, which is going to take me about ten years because it's so dense. I've still got yeah. to read Browned Off and Bloody Minded, and there's a whole host of other stuff I've yeah. got to read. I just honestly, I just there's just not enough hours in the day. I haven't yeah, even I looked at Chips Channon yet. Yeah, I got I finished Rob's book. Um, well uh, it's so good. It's so good, isn't it's it? It's so good. And the thing I've been is- asked to do my books of the year somewhere, and I've. Why when Slim pivots in 45, when he realises he needs to shift his um, uh, the balance of his offensive, when he's when he's trying to get to Rangoon before the rains, and diverts at right angles to the Japanese line, swings, moves his Schwerpunkt south, basically, and, dis- and crosses the Irrawaddy in secret, in secret, and it's got his whole logistic thing basically running right on its finger. This is the right hook? Yeah. It's amazing. The right hook is unbelievable, isn't it? It's an absolutely incredible. This is where thing. he goes down to McTeela. 
Yeah, he goes down to McTeer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that, that's that's uh, George McDonald Fraser bit. Yeah, but sh- shifts the balance of his of his offensive. It's Was the it most... fifteen core, isn't it? Is it fifteen? Yeah, yeah, core? yeah, 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 yeah. And then you've got I think it's eighty one West African operating completely via air supply behind air, enemy lines in full down from the Arakan. Exactly in full Chindit style, and no one talks about it like a Chindit thing at all. No. Yeah, but that's because um, they're from West Africa, isn't it? We know right, exactly. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, there's so much, but it's just so interesting. And his 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 thing that, that that this is the war in which the modern India is created outside the efforts of the nas- of nationalist politicians and stuff is really really thought provoking, really really fascinating. Because after all, so much of India has to be industrially and infrastructurally invented to fight this campaign. India's defending itself rather than simply being a manpower reserve for North Africa or Iraq or wherever, which is what it's been up to this point. India has the purpose of defending itself. But he says the way that that electrifies politics or changes the political... I mean, his, his argument is... It's a very it's a very compelling argument that this, this is where India comes from easily as much as from the Congress Party or... Jinnah or any of the political activity that's going on. The, the war is the thing where, you know, it, it, it's it's crystallised into a into a nation, you know. And we talk about, you know, First World War being making of the Anzac nations. And you talk, we talk about, we, you know, we've talked a lot on this, on the podcast about how the Second World War is the, you know, it's David Edson's thesis, the Second World War is the creation of the British nation. The thing we're just talking about, you know, you've got to create a country post-imperially here, in the UK and India is the war in India is the creation of the post-imperial India. Yeah. Because of the war effort, because of the army, because of, but not just the army, because you're putting proper infrastructure in because you've got to fight a war and you're building factories to do it. And, you know, I mean, he's very interesting. And he also says, if you're going to blame anyone for the the famine in um, Bengal, it's the Japanese because of the war, because they attempt to invade India and put India under that pressure. If any, if well, anyone... I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that. I was just thinking about this the other day. You know, sort of how how outraged everyone still is about Britain's lack of effort to to to, to supply the Bengalis when they were in the famine. Yeah. And then you kind of think about what's happening in Afghanistan and this winter and the yeah. prospect of twenty million people starving. No one's batting an eye. No one's batting an eye. No. No. And so, people, so it's sort of people have double their, standards. Washed their hands of Afghanistan, haven't they? They want. Yeah, but 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 you know, yeah. but people have argued that you know. Churchill was a racist for kind of, you know, washing yeah. his hands of the Bengalis. I mean, yeah. you know, you've got to be consistent in your views, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway. Yeah, well, well, at least you can, you've got to at least try, I think, is the is the thing. Right, well, there, there's just... something that the modern world can do about Afghanistan. That is absolutely no question. I was also yeah. thinking it was a bit like kind of blaming the German people for what, for, for the, the Kaiser's hubris in 1914, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I mean. You know, blaming the Afghans for 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 being overwhelmed by the Taliban is not really it's not really their fault, is it? I mean, well, no, it's also a, a, fa- a, a yet again a failure to appreciate what the Taliban actually is. Because I I'm, totally, I'm, totally, I'm totally, sure, totally, I'm sure I'd have I'm sure I'd have my hands up if they came to town. Um, the, the, you, you, you know what I mean? Yes, yeah, so it's also, but it's also confusing the Taliban with being kind of IS and everything else. I mean, yeah, if you yeah. want them to sort of encourage IS, I'd have thought yeah. starving the nation and and kind of making it go to the dogs is probably the best way of achieving that. Yeah. See, Whereas well, if you act, yeah. if you actually chuck in some money and get get um, avert avert yeah. famine, you might actually get a better result. Well, yes, if you yes, exactly. If you want to demonstrate to people that the world does doesn't care about you. Uh, Ignore this, them and leave them to starve. Exactly, this is the way to do it. Anyway, yeah. should we do? Anyway. Well, should we do a, a question? We got. Well, should we do yeah, one yeah, yeah. Question? I've got. I've got to go. I've got to go on to. Um, okay. This is an um, excellent question. So this is from Yoel Margolis, who says, "Hey, Alan James, 
I've been greatly enjoying listening to your podcast during my breaks while training in the Israeli Air Force. Oh, good for you. Yeah. The story I heard as a child about my grandfather is that he was a Polish Jew who moved to the Soviet Union in the 1930s because of his communist ideology. During the war, he was working in a train station when a childhood neighbour who was serving in the Polish resistance recognised him while passing through the station en route to North Africa. The story goes that he warned my grandfather of the German treatment of Jews and eventually convinced him to get on the train and disembark in Palestine. After the war, my grandfather learned that he'd lost his parents and nearly all his siblings in Treblinka. He spent the rest of his life trying to find this man, but was unsuccessful. Does this story sound at all feasible? Were there Polish resistance fighters who fought in North Africa? And is it possible they would have passed through the Soviet Union en route? Thank you for your work, Yoel. The answer is yes, isn't it? Yes, there absolutely were Poles in in in, um, in North Africa. Yeah. yeah, and all sorts of people in transit. I mean, it, it's absolutely... Completely believable. His father, his grandfather, was a Polish Jew, moved to the Soviet Union because of his communist ideology. That de- that was definitely happening. Um, mm-hmm. uh, because after all, if you're a communist, then where else are you going to where else are you going to go? Because P- Poland isn't exactly Poland isn't exactly um, uh, you know it's pretty hot water f- for Jewish people as it is in the 30s, and it's getting worse. That the P- Polish government is ramping up its discrimination against Jewish people before the war. Um, and if you're a communist, of course you're gonna you're gonna go to the Soviet Union, and, and I can completely, completely believe that um, because you have got you've got the people who've escaped um, uh, Poland in '39 are basically trying to get wherever they can, haven't they? Radders. Yeah, so they're they're going from from southern Poland into Romania, yeah. and from Romania they're going across the kind of Black Sea into Turkey, yeah. and then and then from Turkey they're going to the yeah. Middle East, yeah. and so that that that's that is the route. Yeah. Um, how he he must have come back from from the Soviet Union at some point, yeah. presumably when the war starts or something. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Um, but 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 if he was from a train station, he would have been the only way he could, realistically he could have got got to Egypt is through Romania. Yeah. Yeah. But it, but it's entirely possible, and there definitely were poles fighting fighting there. I mean, the poles the poles are sort of they're fighting much more widely than most people give them yeah, credit yeah, for. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, and they absolutely were in North well, the, Africa. Wherever they I mean, I remember interviewing Sophie Tarnowska. He married Stanley Moss. He of Ill Met by Moonlight yeah. fame. And and she set up the Polish Red Cross in Cairo. So, yeah. I mean, but basically... Oh, a fascinating story. That is a fascinating story. And compl- I, 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 I think completely, completely likely um, uh, is the truth. And and you've got... Basically, wherever there's fighting, Poles turn up and join in is the thing. They, because they've every, they've every reason <laughs> they to. They do. You know, and they're entirely yeah. motivated to fight. Um, yeah, that's very that is very interesting. Yeah, that's completely believable. Um, we we've I think we've we've gone round the houses. We've uh, yeah, it's good fun it's though. Good fun, it's excellent. And we're we're off to Hendon tonight, which will be you will tomorrow will have happened. Tomorrow, <laughs> and then in some weeks' time. Exactly. Uh, there's there's loads more to <laughs> some point. Loads more to come. Um, uh, and on the Patreon, plenty of stuff too. Thank you very much for listening. Um, we're back on Thursday with Mark Milner um, uh, to talk about the, the the war of the Atlantic, aren't we? Yeah. And family yeah, stories yeah, is back. To that. Exactly. Family stories is back each Sunday, and we're releasing our latest audio book for the members on the Patreon. It's a pair of silver wings, a wartime novel written by uh, some bloke called James Holland. No, we're not actually. Are we we're not? not. We're doing that in January. Is that in now, January? Now? Has that been bumped? Oh. That's been bumped. All right. Okay. That's all right. But what we have got next week, we've got December week. Yes, we've got December, December forty-one week. week. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Starting on Monday, 
six sizzling days. Of December 1941. The, the, I think, yeah. I'm going to say, just as I believe, the Matilda, the British had the best tanks the first two years and the last two years, first three years and the last two years of the war. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, <laughs> um, uh, um, it's the most probably the most important week of the Second World War, December nineteen forty-one. Yeah, yeah, possibly. It's when fifth, the die fifth week, week of fifth, sixth of sixth of sixth of December. Yeah, yeah, it's when the die gets cast. At least I think that's the yeah. way of looking at it. Anyway, we'll, yeah. we'll see you. We'll see you next time. Thanks very much, Cheerio. Cheerio.